You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to Practically Pastoring. My name is Frank, and I am glad that you are here. I'm here with my buddies, my friends up in Baltimore, Maryland, Jeffrey Simpson. Hey, hey. And down in sunny central Florida, we have Andrew Larson. Greetings and salutations. And Timothy Miller. Let's go lightning. Ooh. Delmar, Delmar wants me to Tonight. tell everybody that uh, he wish he could be here. He has some other engagements. He's on assignment right now. So it's just the four of us, which is mm. way more than we probably should have on this podcast. Probably. But we're here. Hey, um, so I just want to start off with uh, talking about Tim. Hey. You have a pool now. Can I just say we're on a video call? People can't see this, but Tim, you are bronze, man. Uh, <laughs> you are looking tan. I've spent, I've spent a few minutes in the sun this past week, gentlemen. If you haven't been watching my my Instagram stories Wait, Tim, of the last, which you should, over I, the last four months, I have documented the construction of my. You really have, pool, and you now we're made in those it. highlights. Dude, we're we're in it. You can go back, go back and make them highlights. I could, I could go back, yeah, set, dude. set it as a highlight. Pool construction, yeah. twenty twenty one. And you really should. It's been a blast. I've been doing my devos. I did my sermon prep out by the pool this past mm. week. It has been a beautiful thing, gentlemen. So how big is it? Like what, what size? It you is know? how many 14, gallons? It is fourteen feet wide by thirty feet long. It is eleven thousand two hundred gallons. Less than one third as big as my pool, but whatever. It's cool. It is eighty four degrees right <laughs> now, but I'm getting solar panels put on, so it'll be eighty nine degrees by the time I dip in it tonight. Yeah, my pool's like seventy eight degrees, and it's you, you jump yeah. in, and it's ours hot. will never yeah. go below eighty five for the that's rest hot. of my that's life. That's like that's like bath water. It, you'd, you'd be surprised when it's really hot outside. It feels it feels so good. Yeah, it is really hot down there too. Hey, listen, I'm not, I know this isn't a competition, but I just got a pool, too. It oh, is an okay. Intex Easy Set, 10 foot Ooh, by 30 nice. inch. I know those. <laughs> I know those well. Nice. The kids don't really care. It's, as long as they can jump Kid, in, that's all no. I care about. So, yeah, can you that's jump an above ground, like, giant kiddie pool. I could when the wife's not around. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> when the wife's not around and there's nobody in the church parking lot it. to see. That's right. Now, we have it positioned yeah. in the yard where it's like in a little enclave where no one can really see so if you get hurt in the pool at the parsonage Ooh. can you claim workman's comp since it technically happened on church property <laughs> if i'm baptizing somebody there you go okay um i love i love in the pool you guys have like these jets that like shoot we've got two deck jets two bubblers right, a sun shelf yeah we we went all out Dude, I love yeah, I love those like oh, shallow. I don't know. Is that the sun shelf? The sun shelf with the bubblers and the deck jet, and it provides. I was like, so that's much genius noise. for little kids, man. Yeah, it's genius for little hear. kids to have a shallow spot. It's awesome. The dog, the dog has been on the sun shelf. The kids have been enjoying the sun shelf. It's awesome. Well, Tim is living his best that's life, it. and we are. Yeah, times are good at um, Lakeview Church. Uh, yeah, come on down to Lakeview. Yeah, <laughs> giving's been great. So, do you, hey, does one of your deacons take care of your pool, or do you have to do that yourself? <sighs> I haven't decided if I'm going to do it myself or if I'm going to hire it out. It, it's weirdly satisfying. I, I give it, I give it yeah. six weeks that you'll do it yourself. That's no, what I'm thinking. If you're not a long guy, I don't think you're going to be a pool guy. I, I don't either. No, I think so, but, some, but the difference is, like, if you're a long guy, you're all sweaty and stuff because you're, like, having to do the lawn. True. But the pool is like, oh, this was hard work for 10 minutes. Oh, wait, I can jump in the pool now. True. We mm-hmm. we uh, canceled <laughs> our pool service because uh, my, my previous landlord, a.k.a. my father-in-law, was paying for it. 
And when he stopped paying for it, I took over the pool stuff. And I was like, we'll do the, I'll do this for a few weeks tops. And then we'll, you know, and here you are. And I love it. It's high school chemistry in action. It really is, man. It's, and it can go out of control quick. Oh, it gets out of control real quick. But it's like every year around Christmas, I'm like, ah, I'm not gonna, why am I gonna spend a hundred bucks this month on doing pool maintenance stuff? We're not gonna be in the pool for three months. And so then every March, I get to bring my pool back from like gross to functioning. <laughs> and it just makes you feel so powerful. And it makes my wife see the so beauty mad of a, the beauty gross. of an above ground pool is that you just dump it out and put new water in. True. <laughs> That's very, very true. <laughs> um, well, you know, we're in the mm-hmm. middle of summer and it's it's peaceful it is so hot. Season, I hate it. Stuff. It is hot. Even in Milwaukee, Ugh. even up here in the great in the great white north, it is the great. This is the countdown to hoodie season season for me, <laughs> for sure. So I think the pinnacle, the peak of summer is mm. July fourth, and you know that's the that's the day we have the the, the skies light up with fireworks. We have hot dogs. All that We've stuff. been having fireworks for a month. But, <laughs> <laughs> like every night, it's ridiculous. But it, our, our California uh, listeners are, are What's a very upset right now. You, there's wow. no fireworks over there. Yeah, those are Yikes. illegal. Okay, marijuana's legal, but not weed. I mean, not <laughs> not fireworks. Anyways, I, I was in Jacksonville for a wedding this weekend, and I like made a quick Walmart run with my kids, and you know the, all the Walmart fireworks are on display, and my mm-hmm. kids are like, Dad, this is what they want for a wedding present. They're like. Grab the like sixty dollar thing of prepackaged Walmart fireworks. That would be awesome. This is what they need wrong. for their wedding present. I'm like, mm. uh, one of them wants something. it. Mommy already bought them something. There will be cool. fireworks tonight. <laughs> hey, <laughs> sex. Well, I want to. I want to ask you. I, I want to ask you. <laughs> ask you guys this question. I saw this in a in another not the practically pathing Facebook group, which they everyone should. should join, but in a different Facebook group, uh, led by for a bunch of senior pastors. Someone asked a question. Are you remaining open or closing for wow. July Fourth? And that question shocked me. Like I, I was like, no way are people actually asking that question. So I actually brought that up in a group I chat with you place. guys. And Andrew Larson said something that was shocking to me. And so I would love to go around the horn. Uh, like, what's your plans for July Fourth? And Andrew, okay, what Andrew, are you give us your give us your manifesto on Christian nationalism. Go. All right, here, here we go. <laughs> I mean, I did just preach a sermon into a camera on Psalm thirty-three, twelve. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, which has nothing to do with America. But it's Fourth of July, and I preached on the text. Don't don't sue me. Um, so here is our situation. Our church is in the middle of a downtown area. You have all been to my church. Tim is sitting at my church right now. You guys, you guys have seen it. We've walked to lunch. Main Street is, you know, seventy steps from our front steps at the church. There's a parade on Main Street at 10 a.m. on 4th of July. For the first time in the history of Safety Harbor, the city incorporated in 1917, so 104 years, it is the first time the parade has ever been on a Sunday morning. So for whatever reason, the organizers just didn't think about it, and the parade is on a Sunday morning. People are upset. It will probably never happen again. But once a date is published, it is published forever. They shut down Main Street. They shut down Bayshore and Martin Luther King. So the three of the four ways into Safety Harbor are shut down for this parade. And so for us... Like in, as, in the Main Street area? Yes. Yeah, so like this, the Main Street, you know, Main Street, which is a block south of us, or yeah, south right. of us, Martin Luther King, which is two blocks north of us, 
and then Bayshore, which is three blocks south of us. The three okay. ways to get into downtown are shut down. All this justification just so he could cancel church and that's, go on vacation. That's not what happened, Tim. So when the news came out, we kind of got together with our leadership team and was like, okay, what do we do here? Because we could be like, no, 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 we're still going to have church at the same time as the parade, which means someone is going to have to be out in our parking lot starting at 730 in the morning to kick out any cars that we don't recognize because our parking lot is the only one anywhere close to the parade. Um, well, now, when do they shut the street down? Because people will come and park and then the street shuts down. Yes, yeah, so they shut down the street okay. at, at 8. So the streets okay. get shut down at 8. Our service is at 10. And so it was, do we... But people you, would come save their spot and park before Yes. That. So yeah. do we push on and say, no, we're going to have our 10 o'clock service because we have service at 10 o'clock on Sunday, even if it is 4th of July? Or is there a way to be more loving to our community? And oh, by the way, 4th of July is always the lowest attended Sunday of the year, period, no matter what church you go to unless you're Lakeview sure. this year. Um, so it's going to be a low attendance Sunday. And oh, by the way, 12 of our adults are in Alaska on a mission trip that left this past, uh, that left yesterday, and they will be in Alaska on 4th of July. And of those 12 adults on that mission trip, six of them are the ones that are going to be serving as the greeters or the ushers or doing the hospitality with the coffee and donuts and all that stuff. So... I, I said to our people back in May to our leadership team, let's get proactive about this because we could either come across as very reactive and have to cancel at the last minute or let's start announcing, you know, well, we're six or seven weeks out. Here's what we have decided to do. The city didn't decide for us. And so we are doing virtual only church on 4th of July. We've recorded 90% of it already. So I've got some video editing to do here in the next couple of days to get everything put together. Um, we use our parking lot as a fundraiser. And so we'll charge people to park in our parking lot. And that money is going to the Maddie Williams neighborhood family center, which feeds the families of downtown safety Harbor that are, uh, that are in food needs. And so we're raising several hundred bucks for them. And we're not asking our people to sit for an hour and a half to try to get to church. Um, when we know they're not going to be able to anyway. So that was our decision-making, was to be proactive instead of reactive. And yes, it did work out so that I could record a sermon today, and I'm leaving to go on vacation uh, in about six hours. Andrew nice. and I's churches aren't that far apart, but we have very different ministry contexts. You're you're in the quaint Safety Harbor We're area. in a little downtown. And we are we are off of East Lake you Road. You are in the suburban sprawl. We have thirty six acres, forty thousand cars, literally pass by our church every single day. So I approached my leadership team in May and said, "Hey, Fourth of July is on a Sunday. We need to go all out this year." And they were like, "One hundred percent. Let's get a team together. Let's go to one service and let's go big." So we've got uh, bounce houses coming in. We've got a fishing tournament, a cornhole tournament. Uh, we're grilling out uh, the team that we tasked to lead the event has recruited 45 volunteers, <laughs> 45 volunteers to pull this thing off. So uh, instead of canceling church, we're inviting the entire community to come to church. You invited my church to come to church. I've invited Safety Harbor and some of your people are actually coming to Lakeview on Sunday. I don't yeah. know if I told you that. I, I love that. He's, he's stealing sheep. I'm a sheep. He's a poacher. That's what he does. So that that is our approach to 4th of July. Uh, obviously a very different context, but we're, we're going, uh, going all out. We, you know, we literally had people marching to City Hall from our church when they found out 
you know, like how, how dare they, how could they do this? But it, it came down to, we can either be that church that is a stick in the mud that is kicking people out of our parking lot and, you know, saying, you know, no, we're, we're still going to do this. Or we could be the church that says to be a part of the community of safety Harbor, we're going to have to adapt and do something differently. And so to love our community as best as we can, we're leaning into what the city is doing for 4th of July instead of trying to swim upstream against it. I got no problem with it. Except it's fun to make fun of. It's just a lot it's of fun. It's really to make fun, fun to make fun yeah. of. I think we're both leaning into Sunday being the 4th of July. You're leaning into it one way because of your city. Yeah. And we're a different way because why not? We have 36 acres. Yeah. It, if it we had 36 sense. acres and a lake, we It'd be would silly be having not to fishing and bounce houses too. Yeah. yeah. But we've got I'm surprised you're not having some kind of boating like tournament. There's the boat, kayak races. There might be kayak racing. Okay. Okay. I meant power boats, but you know. A- alligator wrestling. Mm-hmm. What t-shirt contest? All of it. Snake. I mean, nope. And, nope. <laughs> Andrew, I will say when you first mentioned all you, all the, the whole context was we're shutting, we're not having service. And I think like when I hear people say July 4th and I'm shutting down service to me, I'm just, I just roll my eyes as hard as I can. But having been to your church, knowing where your that pavilion you're talking about is, that park you're talking about, and I think it makes total sense. Like it's actually like you're being a better steward of your of your community, and uh, and you're making your church is making money to for something good in the midst of it. Um, and you have a good buddy down the street that can that can take all your people that Sunday when uh, when for, for everybody so, listening, it's not I really like, down the street. It's like. Th- 25 it's 20 minutes, minutes away. away. Yeah. I'm just saying. So it's not like it's 20 minutes it's away, like, but yeah. it would take that They're same like, 20 minutes to get three blocks in right. Safety Harbor on 4th of July. Like True. they will attend Lake True. One and time, but they and you'd be back. and you'd be really, really angry when you got to church if you did Oh, that. you would be ticked. You'd be ready mm-hmm. to punch a patriot. Yikes. <laughs> um, so I guess I mean I think Ooh. my concern is like when I saw in that Facebook group is people were like in honor of America. Oh my god, church! And, really, and to me, that's really where happy I'm, I'm not in that group. <laughs> I'm like baffled by that conversation. So uh, I mean, I, I do think what you're doing, Tim, is actually the more I think about it, it's like this is you know churches do fall events, they do spring events. Mm-hmm. This is your summer event. Let's have a big event on our in our, in our, in our church. Yeah, it coincides with a holiday. It just means that we have a theme. We exactly. have hot dogs. We have you know we have There's hot dogs instead of like pumpkins. I, 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 yeah, exactly. I appreciate it. I think I think the the joke that Jeff and I uh, are leading into is just like when churches see patriotism on the same level as their spirituality and the same level as their faith. That's the thing that like there's this level of like a blindness in our country in Christianity where it's like those are one and the same and and. And to even poke at it causes so much defense and, and 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 shock and stuff like that. Where I'm just like, I feel like it's so obvious. There shouldn't be a flag next to the cross. Dude, in the sanctuary. I, I don't think I've told. You know, go go ahead. The, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying that, like, I feel like I've been in. I feel like I've been in so many churches where, like, around this time of year, we sing a bunch of patriotic songs, and the congregation is singing louder than they would ever sing some of the worship songs. You know, and I think there's this like. I, I do agree. Like we're in America, you know. It's you know. There's a there's an aspect of contextual t- contextualizing who we are as people. But I think there's a th- there's a thin line, or not a thin line. It's a big big line, the but thin we keep blue line. of <laughs> our faith <laughs> of our faith and our patriotism, and it's kind of terrifying. Anyways, Jeff, go ahead. What were you gonna say? 
What I was going to say is that I the, the time that this became most like poignant for me and I was most offended by was about two years ago. And I'm actually friends with I'm friends with some of the people at this church, but I went to this church. Uh, they were doing a uh, Wednesday night uh, Lent series where we go to different churches and do like a prayer night during Lent on Wednesdays. And we went and he did this service and he did the benediction from, you know, Numbers chapter six, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you did that thing. And at the end of the service, he said, all right, and now we're going to stay, say the um, Pledge of Allegiance. Everyone, <laughs> please stand up, turn around and face the flag at the back of the sanctuary. And let's recite this and remember that God blesses the nations that love him. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm turning my back on the cross, literally, because there's a cross at the front of the room. And I'm ending the service after the benediction by saying the Pledge of Allegiance. This feels really, really wrong and really, really weird. But man, people said that way louder than they did anything else in the service. And they were like really passionate about it. And it was weird. And I didn't expect it because I thought that only happened in the South. But nope. So So, I sent out an email to our praise team. uh, That's basically what I picture you doing on 4th of July, Andrew. Yeah, that's what we're doing. So I I sent out an email (laughs) to the praise team and was like, you know, hey, here's, here's the sermon text and stuff. Here's a couple song ideas that would work. And then like I kind of said what I thought was joking, like, not a huge fan of uh, overtly patriotic songs in worship, you know, period. But, you know, here's here's the text that you should be picking songs around. And so we recorded yesterday after service for the 4th of July, you know, live or the the uh, recorded service. And there's a song that was like on a passion album in the year 2000 called America. True story. That I, I just like showed Tim, like, this is a passion song. This it's is scary. So what? Louis Giglio put his stamp on this at some point. I'm just going to read you, uh, you know, if my people will uh, humbly pray, turn from their sin and their wicked ways, then I'll hear them and heal their land and show my glory and power again. Yeah. Lift your eyes up. Look to the sky. The Lord is coming, coming to America. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> this is it's a, a real song. Just- I um, knew it. I just Googled it. And just based on the fact that you said that, yeah, I was like, that has to be Chris Tomlin. And uh, it is. Can you feel the fire? Can you feel the wind? <laughs> it's blowing through. It's coming to America again. And so like, I, oh boy. So like I, I usually do not do our recording stuff on Sunday mornings because I'm the pastor. But since we were recording the music separately, I was back there with the headphones on and like, oh, so Wait, did you guys sing that song? No, we didn't. They, they, their praise team recorded it after church yesterday for the broadcast for next Sunday. That song? This song. Oh, boy. And so I'm oh, like, boy. do I tick off my praise team that, you know, recorded this song? I thought you were joking. No, they said they recorded this song yesterday. So I think this will be like the opener before church and starts. And that's thanks that officially. the file got corrupted, huh? Yeah. Oh, man. Bummer. <laughs> Huge bummer that that happened. So MP4 got all screwed up, guys. Oops. I don't know what happened. Guys, I'm so, hey, if you guys can make it down to church right now, I can re-record it. There were a few requests for patriotic songs at Lakeview on Fourth of July, and they were um, abruptly turned down. But like at the same time, like, so do you say, okay, well, the service has ended, but now we're celebrating America? So like, th- there's there's like Frank, what you said, it's a thin line because like as Americans, like we we celebrate America. We do. You're having a Fourth of July party. We are. That celebrates America. We're changing the flag so, and, yes. and everything. It's fine. So do you say, well, this is not part of the worship service. It's like, you know, when when uh, praise teams do like, well, we're going to sing radio songs to welcome you to church. Oh, gosh. But the announcements haven't been made yet, so it's not part of the worship service. 
I I don't know. Uh, I am. We're, we're weird, man. Are you just trying to American justify your modern. Yeah, America. It is weird. It is weird. Like I never, I've had so many of these conversations too. Is like when I was a worship pastor, like so many. But then you start talking to people that aren't from here, like mature Christians that are from another country, and this is like not even on their radar to even talk about. Straight up idolatry. What are you doing? So weird. Yeah. Why would you even? What do you mean? Why would you do that? So yeah, I've got a buddy who was over in England, and he got invited. So I was talking to him because this is like his first year back, and I was like, "Hey, have you a first year back?" in the States for 4th of July. Are you excited? He's like, not really. Cause every year that I was in England, someone had a 4th of July party and it was like a way to like mock America because like most countries are, they don't take their national sovereignty that seriously. But so every year that he was in England, someone that had a backyard is like, Hey, it's our excuse to wear flannel and have a barbecue and you know, flow. It's like them. us with Cinco de Mayo. Exactly. Right. It's exactly what it is. That's really dude. I was in Argentina. That. I was in Argentina as a teenager on a mission trip and it was during 4th of July and we ended up, our youth pastor like knew this. It was a, uh, an American company that had, you know, their headquarters in Buenos Aires in Argentina and they had a 4th of July party on their like compound and it was really like we walked into America or probably like into Lakeview church on Sunday because there (laughs) was just like that. There was, there was dunk tanks and hot dogs and cornhole. Well, maybe not cornhole then, but all the normal stuff you would see and then there was fireworks at night and then we like walked out of the compound back into Argentina. It was crazy. <laughs> I just love America so much. All, all, all of this sounds like a good apologetic for going back to a, a high church liturgical mm. calendar where someone older and dead tells us what we should probably wait someday. Because <laughs> other but in any situation, this is really interesting. Um, uh, Jeff, anything? Your uh, no, um, we just go by up? what the person who's older but alive again tells us what to do. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Okay. I like that. No, we're, <laughs> we're <laughs> so dumb. We're doing, um, we're doing just, uh, well, I may not be at church on Sunday. And that's a whole other thing. I may be in Florida. Um, I like you. <laughs> If I'm in Florida, I'm for sure going to come to Lakeview. Why would you For real. I might be there. Uh, Because we are waiting to get a call about uh, our daughter's sister. We may end up down there picking her up uh, this week. So I may really be in Florida this weekend. And if I am, I for sure will be at Lakeview on Sunday morning. I'd be so bummed. I'd even sit in a dunk tank for you if you wanted. You should. I just want to do one of those inflatable water slide races with you, Jeff. And I'm so sad that I'll be... In Arkansas <laughs> with my wife's family, Man. who's my family too. But yeah, that's right. if I would have known that I'd be missing well, out but on if I'm, to race you on a water slide. If I'm at church, we will be in uh, the really cheerful section of uh, John 13 into John 14, right after Ooh. Jesus is betrayed. Okay. So it should be, you know, celebrate America. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to enter into our clergy clip. All right, we're back, and we have a, a, a unique clergy cliff note. We don't really have a lot of cliff notes that come outside of the, uh, the Christian kind of publication market, but this clergy cliff note comes from the Chicago Tribune. And um, Ben Zobris, is this an overstatement? Is Ben Zobris one of the best 
uh, raised players to have ever played. He's one of the best Ooh. utility he's players. He's the most versatile he, player. He could play fan you know, favorite for sure. Fan, fan favorite Loved played him. you know seven Absolutely. positions well. Made it made a few All Star games, okay. but yeah, yeah. He was sol- he's, he's a he's solid starter anywhere you put him on the field. Yep, got it for sure. So Ben Zobrist, ben Zobrist uh, there's a lawsuit that alleges that his pastor had an affair with mm. his wife, and also that pastor defrauded um, the the money that he had given to this 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 pastor's charity um, over. No, it was it was so, the Zobrist's charity. So the pastor got the pastor got Ben and uh, Juliana to hire him to work for their charity in addition to his full-time income for, from the church. That's what it was. Yeah, I, I knew I knew the pastor was the one that defrauded. I uh, I guess it was Zobris's own charity that he defrauded, yeah. right? That, that's how it works. So so long long story short, Ben Zobris who is not just a great as Jeff said, a great utility player in, in baseball, he's also a believer and he's a pretty outspoken uh believer. He's he's I mean, I remember every FCA thing I had ever seen. He, he somehow his name got brought up, probably on a similar level to a Tebow. Was that? Would you yeah. say that's fair? Dallas ba- Dallas Baptist alum. Dallas Baptist alum. There you go. And um, and his wife is actually a a somewhat of a CCM not, artist. Not, not anymore. Uh, like a not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. But she was. She had some sort of like musical career. Um, as a Christian artist, but anyways, long story short, there there has been allegations and evidence of um, uh, adultery from Ben's wife with this pastor, and um, and this pastor also has done other whack stuff. So, with that being said, uh, Andrew, you brought this up, and and outside the fact that pastors shouldn't be sleeping with their congregants' wives, that's bad. What other application? What what other application does this story tell for us as pastors as we're looking at this? I mean, it's it's really sad. Ben Zober seems like a nice guy. This seems all pretty terrible. Andrew, what what do you think? I I think, you know, above all, this is one of those be sure your sin will find you out situations. I mean, you can think that you're going to get away with something, but you, you never, ever will. And it's, it's just really, really sad because here, you know, our local sports talk radio, there's um, the afternoon program. There's an agnostic Jewish guy and an agnostic, you know, somewhat, you know, Christian, a guy that celebrates Christmas. So I don't know if you'd call him a Christian, but they were having people call in to the show to talk about like shady things that pastors had done oh. when they were talking about this last week on sports talk radio. And the last time, so I, I Googled the word pastor when this was first coming up. And of course, every story was about this. And the last time that this happened, do you remember, I think it was like back in March, we had the clergy cliff note about the pastor that talked about trophy wives. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the So the two stories in the national media that have like taken everything by storm are these two guys. And it's just heartbreaking because... You know, it's heartbreaking for for Ben Zobrist and their kids, obviously, and hopefully there's heartbreak on on the part of the pastor and and Juliana because you sin should break your heart, but it's just it's just so sad because a career was interrupted and for sports fans that are casual Christians or are Christians maybe in name only or just don't know what they believe. When they think of a pastor now, they don't think of the five of us sitting around in a podcast 
talking about how to best minister to our congregations, their first thought of pastor is going to be this guy that defrauded a charity and slept with a celebrity's wife. And that's not what we want people to think of when we think of pastors. I mean, I don't know what else to add besides that. Yeah, I mean, it's just like it's one thing after another right now. We're already getting slammed. I mean, I know we didn't even talk about it today, but now there's all the stuff coming out about uh, sermon stealing in the SBC, too. Uh, and it's like, you know, newly elected president is using other people's sermons, uh, which is pretty crazy. And that happens all the time. You've got uh, the allegations of sexual abuse. And now this is in the category of sexual misconduct, at least. And uh, it's just like and then you add the money part of it in. It's just like, a come on, man. The, the lawsuits. A That's little my bit, thoughts. Come on, man. The, the lawsuits Stop are a little it. Bit crazy because Ben Zobers is suing him for essentially the year of Major League Baseball that he took off mm. to deal with his family. And he should have taken the year off. But it's like, you're, you're suing the guy for like your Major League contract a year after you were the World Series MVP. I don't think you're ever... Basically, you are trying to bankrupt this guy for forever, which might be another conversation to have on, a, on another day. But I mean, I think he'll be able to prove that had this not happened, he would not have had to take the year off of that, you know, $10 million contract. But it's still right. a very weird thing to be like, hey, I took the year off to take care of my family. Oh, by the way, I'm suing you for every penny that I missed because you had an affair with my wife. My thing was I saw it first on our local news media and I was like, oh, man, this this stinks. And then minutes later, I saw it on national news media and I was like, oh, no, yeah, it, this this is how we are going to be portrayed. This is going to be the face of Christianity, quote unquote, for the next, you know, several days, several weeks. This will be the topic of conversation. It's just one of those heartbreaking moments for us as pastors where we just sit back and go, not again. Right. Like we shouldn't be surprised that sin still impacts this world. But every time it happens to a pastor, I just sit back and go, "Ugh, not again. Like, can't there be a story about a pastor like running into a burning building to save a bunch of kittens and orphans? Like ju just once I want the story on the news to be pastor did Honestly, something Honestly, though, right. if... If that if that actually happened, it wouldn't be on the news. Like that's not be. interesting. Unless Andrew, if you set the fire, I will then go in. Then they'll have two competing stories. Okay. Pastor sets building to fire, but another pastor goes in and rescues everyone. Or if you set the building on fire, the story would be Andrew ran. Can you believe it? It's <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh man. Cause chubby. Oh, how's that for content? I mean, I think one thing that. I think it's worth talking about is one of the ways that Jan even got into the, the pastor got into this connection with this couple besides being their pastor was ironically because he was counseling them for their a little bit more than counseling. Oh, sure. Sure. But I mean, I think there's something, I mean, there's something, there's something interesting and also very, very wicked in the sense that he was providing marriage counseling for them. And in that he's the source of the tension that's in their marriage. I mean, it's very manipulative. Well, very, I, very deceptive. I don't even know if he was the source to begin with, but he certainly at the very least manipulated the situation and took advantage of the vulnerability. Well, of and the he wife was saying, for you know, sure. Hey, go to Chicago because they were, their family was based out of Nashville, but he was playing for the Cubs and it was, Hey, go to Chicago. Don't expect her to come with you. This at the beginning of this season, let, you know, maybe some space is what you need, which is super shady. But it's also, as, as a pastor, I have 
what, six undergrad hours in counseling and I think nine seminary hours in counseling. I know enough about biblical counseling to get myself into trouble. Mm -hmm. I can walk through a workbook that somebody smarter than me wrote to do premarital counseling, and I can pray with somebody and give them some advice. But almost every counseling, if you you know call it a counseling session that I have, ends with, I am not a licensed counselor. Let me refer you to some really good licensed counselors that are Christians. Yep. And whenever a pastor thinks that he can, you know, wear eight different hats, like, you know, run a charity, be a pastor, be a counselor. Um, dude, stay in your lane and you're a whole lot less likely to get wrecked. I, I and I I I I think this is where I wanted the, the conversation to go. I agree with you. I think that like Every pastor at some point is going to walk with a couple through some sort of marriage counseling type of avenue. But I guess a conversation that I don't think anyone really prepared me for, whether it was in Bible college or, or anything like that, was to, to what extent does the counseling happen? Like, like obviously we as pastors can speak boldly and clearly about what scripture says and what God has for their marriage or at least what God wants for their marriage. But like at some point we are not trained like therapists or counselors like like what makes uh jeff's father-in-law dr cox different from us is that dr cox actually went through like professional licensed counseling to be that where we like you said andrew took a couple classes in bible college and know enough to get us in trouble and so i guess my my, my question to you is as people are listening to this and are, are, and some folks are maybe first stepping into that role of now counseling couples who are going through trouble in their marriage like, what is your limit? When do you say, okay, after this many sessions that we meet together, I want to refer you to a professional counselor or, or like, what, what do you clearly say? This is to all three of you. What do you say ahead, ahead of time to make sure that the people you're counseling know the limitations of you as a pastor and when it's time to go to be referred to a professional counselor? What do you say? In I think situations? for me, it's always being upfront right at the beginning and just letting them know that I am a pastor and I'm here to love, pray, talk, discuss things with you, but I am not a licensed professional and and I will let you know and I'm going to refer you as soon as I feel like this needs to go in that direction and not trying to, to lead anybody on or making them think I'm something that I'm not. I just try to be as honest as possible right up front and letting them know who I am and what my responsibility is there. And then when I see the need for uh, an actual professional to step in, that's when I refer them. Yeah, I it, it's it's a very open upfront like it's almost one of the first things I say is, you know, I really would recommend a professional counselor because there is some boundaries in that relationship that are not in the kind of relationship that we have as your pastor because as a counselor, they're not also your friend. Mm-hmm. Whereas as a pastor, I I also see myself as one of your friends, one of your acquaintances. If I see, I, I don't, you know, it, it's just a different kind of relationship. And I frankly don't know if you can be a full-time pastor and a full-time counselor. Like, I don't know if anybody really has the uh, the soul bandwidth, so to speak, to have both of those kinds of relationships with people. I think you probably are going to have to be one or the other. I mean, with me, there's no way I could ever do both in that kind of uh, capacity. So premarital counseling is a little different. Because it has a set end date, you know, they're Mm going to get married at this date and then I'm not in a counseling relationship with you anymore. Um, But marital counseling in particular is hard because it can you can have a lot of, uh, you know, ongoing persistent issues that leave people in that vulnerable state that then 
the thing that made you want to get into pastoring, which is I want to help people and I think I can bring some things to the table that will help them, can also be ha- have a shadow side where now you have this messiah complex. And, you know, let's say in this Zobris case, that's what happened. He, this pastor goes into it with good intentions, but then that kind of shadow sin side takes over and begins to grab hold and it just overtakes him. And he just gives into that, that desire to then take the relationship from this counseling relationship. And now she's crying on my shoulder and now let's take things further. And, you know, that's to me where you just, I mean, I don't know that I've ever done more than like two sessions with somebody where at the end of that, I wasn't like, look, I'm happy to meet for coffee with you, but if you want to meet one-on-one to have this kind of conversation, it needs to be with a counselor. And here's a counselor I'd recommend. The other thing I'd say pastors like reach out. If you move into a new city, find a counseling center near you and ask this question to a professional counselor, like meet with them and say, I want to form a relationship. And when, where's the line? Like, when should I be sending people to you? And if you find a good counselor, they'll be honest and say, you know, here's here's some things to think about. Once it gets into this kind of stuff, you really need to be referring people. You know, I met with a guy who wanted me to counsel him because he had he was hearing multiple voices and had multiple personalities. It was like that's not even remotely in my wheelhouse, not even close. Jeff, I think I think what you were saying about an end date uh, is what makes premarital counseling so different from anything else. It's the if if I am going to have an ongoing relationship with you. It needs to be in a discipleship capacity, not in a counseling capacity. Mm-hmm. And I think where right. so many pastors get it wrong is they confuse counseling for discipleship. And that's not the the roles are very, very different. And so, yes, you might have a long term ongoing relationship with someone that you're mentoring, someone that, you know, comes to you with issues, but that's not necessarily counseling. And I think a pastor needs to have a clear definition of what is counseling and what is disciple making because we're called to do one. We are not called to do the other. And I think it's, it's, it's really unwise to think you have more capacity than you have. I know I've talked with my father-in-law many times and he, a phrase he would say is about once every six months, I just needed a really good cry because of the things I was dealing with with people's lives. And I know as a pastor, that's true in my world. Like, There's every so often where I'm just like, man, I just I'm just like sad about the things going on in people's lives and people are leaving and divorces are happening. And like so you can't have that and then think you're going to also have the counselor stuff on you as well. Uh, I just I just think it's unwise to think you can handle more than you can handle. You really can't like and you you shouldn't. You you don't. That's not what you're there for. You're there to be a pastor. You're not there to be a, a licensed mental health counselor, too. From all the traditions that you guys grew up in, and and I would say maybe even the traditions before you came to the church right now, have you heard about therapy in a positive light, or, or has the church kind of like shunned therapy as like something for the extremes? I would say the past 10 or 12 years, it's changed. Um, like even from the beginning of my time in vocational ministry to to now, the the attitude has shifted. But growing up in the, you know, independent fundamentalist Baptist movement that I grew up in. Absolutely not. Like, you know, unless you were a deviant or an abuser or abusive, you know, you don't need, you don't need counseling. And I think now, nowadays the attitude is much healthier towards mental health in general. I think we see that across not just churches, but just across society in general, the attitudes towards mental health have changed a lot. And even like, medication and psychiatry 
types of care have changed. I think it's a generational thing. I mean, for me, in my church background, the two exceptions to that would be uh, the pastor that really mentored me the most, my youth pastor, and then my father-in-law really had positive attitudes about counseling and seeing a therapist. But in many, many, many other places, in many of the older people in my church, it was just what you said, Andrew. I even had a, a guy here at my church bring to a small group a video that he wanted to show us about how evil and you know conspiracy the whole psych- psychiatric mm. uh, system is and any of that's bad. And I looked at the back of it and was like, dude, this is Scientology. <laughs> like you're, you're you're about to show us Scientology <laughs> propaganda. We're not showing this, and oh, he didn't realize Hubbard. it. Hubbard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but I think like I think there is. I, I think there's a there stigma a, for sure. A, a, there's a stigma yeah. in the church where we discredit therapy, but then we turn to our pastors as our therapists, and I think pastors because good, they're Frank. pushing off therapy. They feel like they should be the therapist, and and I love what you said, Jeff. We I don't I agree with it. I don't think we are we are meant to have the capacity to both be therapists. I'm not a medical doctor either. Disciples. I can't fix your broken leg, bro. I'll pray for you though. I know it hurts. I'll pray for you, anoint you with oil, but I'm not putting a cast on. There are segments of Christianity I would call them cults that reject medical stuff and like. But that's a whole other conversation for another day. But uh, but man, I, all I have to say is this. I don't think Ben Zobrist did anything wrong by seeking pastoral no. care in this situation with his wife. I think what we have here is a pastor who took advantage, advantage of, a, of a very, very bad situation, prayed – I'm assuming – maybe I'm giving his wife too much credit – prayed on a vulnerable woman – and, uh, and and then beyond that, also took advantage of the literal charity. I, was say, I think he saw dollar like, signs I think, I th- when he looked at them as a couple. Yeah. And 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 I think it's unfortunate because of what you guys said earlier. There's a there's now a segment of the population who, when they think of pastors, they think of this. But also, and this is a very very niche conversation. But now there's a segment of celebrities who now feel like they can't trust mm-hmm. pastors, or maybe not even celebrities, but people of affluence who feel like I can't trust clergy because they're just going to take advantage of me, right? This is a sucky situation. This is another example that we talk about in Clergy Cliff Notes where st- stupid bad apples make the rest of us look bad, and and there's not much we can do about it besides go on our podcast and vent about how dumb they are. With that being said, I mean, all four of us, including Delmar, everyone here, we all need grace because we can easily fall into the same trappings as that pastor, and we need that, you know, the the grace of the grace that we don't fall into the love of money, fall into some deep lustful adulterous relationship, and literally ruin lives and and beyond that, ruin other people's lives in the wake of that. So, anyways, thanks for bringing that bringing this up, Andrew. This was uh, an interesting conversation. So, um, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, um, we have an interview with David Miller. Hey, we're back, and we have David Miller. He is the vice president of coaching at uh, Slingshot Group. He has helped pastors from across the country find jobs and have helped churches find great candidates. He has also helped churches navigate unique situations with practical leadership and coaching strategy. We talk a bit about what it's like being a candidate right now looking for a church as well as what it's like being a church looking for people to fill these roles. Enjoy this conversation with David Miller, and we'll be right back. Hey, I am here with David Miller. David, I'm so glad you're here, man. 
Dude, it's great to reconnect with you, dude. Dude, I, I, I'm glad. Uh, I, I've I've uh, known David for, man, like a while now. And and uh, it's funny, like, uh, there's been two, uh, well, there was one big church transition where I was leaving Arkansas, moving to, to where I'm at now. And I remember when I was ready to go, I was ready to, to, to leave the church I was at. And, and, and I, I, and I met with, uh, the people who listen to this podcast, I've, I met with Matt Chandler over at the mm-hmm. village church and he was like, gave me a list of things I should look for in a church. And then the first thing I was like, well, the churches he's kind of describing, I have no contact with, but David do, David does. And so I remember reaching out to you and, and, and you helping me, uh, trying to find a place for me to, to transition to a new church. Um, but by the unique way of God working things, I actually found, uh, my church kind of in, in, a, in a sudden and kind of unexpected way. But I have one thing I've always appreciated in our conversations in the past when I was looking at churches and looking at like uh, kind of being placed somewhere. Um, you have, uh, and I, mean, I don't know if I ever told you this, you've kind of like coached me on like how to make my resume sound better, how to mm. make sure I'm. Uh, I remember uh, when at one time uh, a church rejected me and you kind of walked through with me of like, hey, this is what they heard when you spoke to them. And sure. I don't think that's what you intended. Like you had really helped me. That I think whenever I look at the way I interact with with the church I currently got hired at, and when I'm coaching and talking to other people who are looking for churches, I lean heavily on our conversations that we had when I was looking. And so, David, I am just so thrilled that you're here. I'm thrilled I can talk to you. Uh, but before we go any further, can you just please tell everyone who's listening kind of like who you are, where you're at, what you do, and all the things that we need to know about you? Dude, that's so encouraging that those conversations were were meaningful to you. They were they're, they're, Those conversations are always really meaningful to me. I feel like I continue to learn in the process of kind of going through with people what they're experiencing in their transitions. And so you've had such a, a fun story and, and a unique story. So it was really cool walking with you through that. So I, I appreciate that quite a bit. Um, man, you ask a little bit about me. So, so I'm the vice president of coaching at an organization called Slingshot Group. Um, you know, our tagline, we, uh, uh, we build remarkable teams through staffing and coaching. And so for years, um, I'm, I'm, I'm entering my 10th year with slingshot group, which just feels crazy. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know a lot of like veterans that are out there, but like 10 years in a, in a thing just feels like that's, that's pretty intense. Um, but, uh, I, I started the student ministry search division and so was able to help grow that. And, you know, we place, um, you know, just a ton of youth pastors over the years. I, I've personally been involved in a few hundred youth pastors finding new roles um, and then moved into other, you know, positions in churches. And then about five years ago, I took over the coaching division. And so I, I oversee about um, 21 coaches uh, all across the country. And we walk churches through um, things like succession or how to start well in your, in your new job um, and then really skill development. Uh, and through that, um, I had this really rad opportunity to, uh, we created what we call improv leadership, which is kind of our coaching, internal coaching strategy. And um, and that 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 strategy all of a sudden became external. So it was really just meant for our coaches. Like, hey, here are some tools and some ways for you to draw the best out of people. And what it turned into was um, this, you know, training and taking thousands of leaders through this training over the years. And then a book that Zonder been put out last year. And it's it's been a wild ride, man. It's been really fun. Dude, that's awesome. Um, I know we're going to talk about coaching a little later because I'm definitely interested in in developing leaders and developing, um, you know, now that I'm a campus pastor, hmm. I have about a handful of staff under me that are mostly dotted line relationships, but yeah. 
I have a pretty influential relationship with them in terms of developing them as leaders. And so I want to I want to talk about a little bit of that towards the end. But but when we when we talk about staffing and and um, and putting people in places, uh, there, there's been a lot of questions that have come to practically uh, that I want to ask you. And I think uh, you'll have some good answers for it. The first thing I want to ask you is this is, is what are some wrong reasons that you've noticed that people who are wanting to leave their church to find a new places when you're talking with them and meeting with them, what are some wrong reasons you, you, you kind of a little, a little bulb comes on and like, Oh, this, this is kind of makes me nervous. What are some wrong reasons you've seen? Yeah. I mean, there, there are a few, um, I think I'll focus on two that, that kind of become categories, right? So the, the first category that you should really be thinking about, am I leaving for, you know, and we use some air quotes, uh, the right reasons, um, is, am I running away from something? I mean, uh, you know, I, I've talked to people, it's like, well, I want to leave before they let me go. Um, I want to leave. I don't feel like this is going well. And so I want to leave um, because I can't figure out how to answer that question. Or uh, there's tension in in like the relationship between me and my supervisor or me and someone else on the team. And um, and so I, I, I just need to I need to run. Um, and I just, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that you will take whatever you're running from with you. Um, when you run to something else, if, if, if you have wounds, you will take that wound with you. If you have insecurity, you will take that insecurity with you. And so truly getting, like kind of doing the hard work of, of healing some of that stuff. Now, um, there are times that you are, are truly in a toxic you know, environment. So there, there are toxic things that you can and, and should run from um, because it's being inflicted on you. That that feels different though than I don't get along with this person or I'm afraid that I'm not doing as well as I could or should be or that they don't think I'm doing as well as I could or should be. And it just turns out that a lot of people are um, uh, almost unwilling to have the difficult conversations in order to um, get to the bottom of what's actually happening. Because there's we, we have these narratives that run in our mind, Frank, that like, that, that honestly just aren't true. And so I think this person thinks this about me is, is something that I hear a lot. And, um, and I, and it's, it's, it's truly not a reason to go anywhere. And so I think that's, I think that's the first one is, is make sure that you're not running from something. Um, and so, you know, you probably heard that almost, it's almost cliche now, but it's like, it is always better to run to run to something than from something, right? So if you're going for opportunity, you're going for um, a new area that you want to do ministry in, you're, you know, there's all kinds of reasons to transition, but fear and insecurity um, shouldn't be one of them. Um, so that's, that's, that's the first category. Uh, I, I would say that, that the second category is what I would just call the, the bigger, better deal. Um, we run these narratives in our minds that, um, if only I were at that church, it would all be better. If only um, I were at name the church of the pastor that just put out that book you really like, or if only I, you know, name the church of that your friend is at that they, you know, speak very highly of, um, and or uh, we think if only I got paid that way, or you know, again, and and, and normally we we really don't know, right? We don't, you know, if only I had those resources. And, and, and I'm just finding there are so, such distinct pros and cons to larger churches and smaller churches, to uh, different parts of the country, in, in the city, in the country. Um, th- I mean, there's so many different things to think about that that to, to leave for opportunity is one thing, but to leave 
based on what I believe um, must be at this other church that I don't have where I'm currently at uh, will lead you to disappointment. And you will become one of those people who, who sadly there are many, who end up every, every three years, two years, um, you know, they, one of those two things have happened. They, they found something in their church they want to run away from. Um, oh no, I got found out. Oh no, a hard conversation just happened. Oh no, like this thing, it, it just took place and now I feel exposed or um, I'm pretty sure if I just went around the corner, things would be better. All my problems would go away. And I think both of those things are, are pretty dangerous. It's so good. I, I, I love that because um, church envy mm-hmm. as a staff member is real. I think oh, it's you know, totally real. And, and you see, and, and, and it, 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 I think I think there's something that comes with age and experience at being in a church in a while where where if you start building relationships with folks at those churches that you like are in love with that mm-hmm. you realize that like man uh, uh, so much of, of your issues and your concerns with your current church is, is just developed in a different way at another church right and, and, no doubt. and you see it all the time and like you know moving up to Milwaukee being in proximity to some of these larger churches in Chicago having all these friends in these huge churches in California or or in Texas and 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 one thing I'm convinced of is like uh, if you're if you're grass is never really greener on the other side, mm-hmm. it's just a different shade of what you the grass that's at your church. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, I, and I appreciate that. I love because I love that that idea of like if you're running from something, then uh, then then that's probably a red flag. But if you're running to something because you think it's going to be better, that's also not going to be a good thing. So I think really being in tune of like where the Lord's calling you, and and I like I like I like that caveat you added where like. Some churches are toxic, and you need to get out of that. And I think there are that, times, like, yeah, there are times yeah. of transition, no doubt. I don't want anyone, you know, I don't want anyone staying in an abusive relationship here, right? Like that's not yeah. that's not what we're what we're getting at. But there is there is just wisdom, and even seeking wisdom from others. Like you know, again, we we play these narratives in our mind that just start messing with us, and when and and they become this echo chamber because we're not bringing them out to anybody else. And so, you know, you even mentioned conversations that you and I were having, like and like like I have conversations with people all the time where it's like I think this, and I'm like, okay, where all are, where are you hearing that? Oh, that's just mm-hmm. what you're hearing that in yourself. Like like no one's ever said that. Like no one's ever put that on you, but you believe this is what someone believes about you, and and that. That's a that's a dangerous echo chamber to live in. Yeah, that's good. Uh, we'll get back to the place of 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 us looking to be placed, but let's talk mm-hmm. about as a church. If you are um, on staff and you're looking to hire, mm-hmm. um, when when a church, I, I feel like every church does this differently, and and so I'm 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 intri- interested to think of like how does slingshot when you're working with so many different churches who have so many different ways of hiring people, like when they are ready to start the process of yeah. hiring someone, um, what should their first steps be? Uh, should, should it, should, I, I feel like it's admirable. Is that the right word? Ab- admirable to, mm-hmm. to look internally first or look in, you know, into their networks or should they just straight up get the committee, go on church staffing, call up David, like, like, like what, how should, what should be the first few steps in that? Like what, yeah. what would you recommend? Yeah. It, it really is different and unique in each place. And so let me, let me give you a couple, couple thoughts and, and, you know, listeners will have to kind of translate for their context to some level. Right. But, you know, the first thing that I think is, is taking an honest inventory of what you're looking for. You know, there's opportunity in transition and far too often, I, I believe that, that in churches and just leadership in general, we waste opportunities 
by, um, by simply replacing what was. And so we say, well, this person, we had this role, uh, this person is transitioning into something different. And now we want to, you know, bring in either someone exactly like that person or, um, you know, or this exact role. I, I, I would say, I would say, you know, take a breath and, and truly think out, um, is this, you know, if we used, let's call it children's ministry for a moment, if, you know, uh, is the children's ministry that we currently have our dream children's ministry? Is this what we want it to be moving forward? Is the kind of leadership that we have um, the the same? Do we want that same kind of leadership, or are we kind of heading in a new direction? And and truly, just being honest about what you're looking for and and who you are um, will help you to figure out kind of what some of those first steps will be. But before I would even you know put a committee or offer a job or you know even look internally, honestly, I would I would be really clear about what you what you want and need in the next season. Um, as far as like, you know, if it exists internally, I think, I think you have to ask yourself that, um, it's great. You know, if you can raise up leaders from, from, from inside, I, I'm actually a firm believer that, that there should be a combination of both. So you should have a healthy amount of leaders that you've raised up internally who have, who are coming into, um, a role at your church. You, you should also have enough outside people that are being attracted to your church. Um, you know, when I, when I talk to a staff where it's like almost everybody has come from that church, you know, I would, I would, I would equate that to kind of being anemic, right? It's, you know, only eating one thing over and over and over again. And so if, if the only church experience that someone has is at your church, all of a sudden, you know, it becomes like, well, where do our new, where does new thought and new ideas come from? Um, but what you get in internal hires is you get this, like, this really beautiful, like, like, like I'm here. Like, I, I don't even want this job at another church. I want this here. And so there's something amazing about that. And so I, I just really believe um, having a combination of, of the two is, in, is important. Um, I, I also, if you are going to do that internal move, I think you have to ask yourself a follow-up question, which is, um, what is the ripple effect of this? So let's think of your church for a moment, right? I have, I have uh, you know, a, um, a youth pastor. They're doing very well. And isn't it funny, right? It's like once we start doing really well, that's when we get these other jobs, you know, and, and promotions or whatever you want to call them, right? So so once we finally get our feet under us and our youth ministry is going very, very well, we're healthy, things are moving um, in, in a great direction, then all of a sudden it's like, well, hey, Frank, why don't you think about being our campus pastor? Well, that's amazing in so many ways. It, get, it helps you get more, you know, some more voice. I'm sure there was probably a little bit of a bump there. There's some different things to think about. That's amazing, but what what happens to the youth ministry in that cha- transition? Is the is is the team ready for that internal hire to happen? Um, and then what are we going to do to really backfill that position so that we don't lose the momentum that we've gained with this healthy leader? So so that is a, a, a huge thing to think about: is what is the ripple effect of that internal hire? Um, I also think that we should be really honest about you know kind of to that first point from earlier, is there anything in our ministry that needs to change in this organization before we get started? Um, you know, coming out of the, the pandemic, right? Like we're, I'm talking to people that are like, I don't actually know I'm going to rehire that role. I don't, you know, we might, we, we can really completely revamp and rethink how we approach this part of ministry. And I think that, um, that, that, that's a, a, a huge part of it, but also, Let's say you know you 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 know, had a youth pastor. It was going well. You move that youth pastor. You're hiring a new one. Um, I think you should be asking what are the things in the organization or in the ministry that we need to change before a new person gets here. It's like, do you want 
the things that were your problem to now be the next person's problem? Or can you use the, the, the relational capital that you've built there from your years of, of being there to actually fix a lot of those things, make a lot of those changes, take the hits yourself before someone else has to come in where it's like, hey, welcome to day one, week one of your job. We need you to go ahead and kill Wednesday nights. You know what I mean? Like, well, man, you probably could have done that before they showed up. Hey, we got this really toxic volunteer. We need you to have a hard conversation with them. You probably could have done that before they came. And so really preparing them to come in and, and, and be in a, in a great place. I think you should do that before you start your, your search process and, and before you, you know, bring in that next person. And then to your question about um, committees, uh, you know, I think you should ask the question, who should point this search? I mean, there are times that a, that a committee should, should point it. Um, you know what? I've, I've seen a lot of committees that are really unhealthy. Um, you know, we've, we've built search teams and search committees to become almost like gotcha committees. Like, you know, like, let me find all the reasons we shouldn't hire someone. And, and so what they, what they do is they become, um, gatekeepers instead of people who are welcoming in a, a brand new hire or trying to find someone who's a really good fit. I think you have to be really cautious of that. If you're bringing people in who are you know, full of cynicism, you know, you want people who just love the church in such a way that they're able to bring somebody and have a conversation and they, they're looking for who fits more than they're looking for who doesn't fit. Because there is a reason not to hire everyone. I mean, the best people in the world, there's, there's a reason not to hire them. And what I find is that a lot of times committees will, um, that's all they're looking for. Uh, so again, should it be a committee? And a lot of times your church denomination will dictate a piece of this, you know, whether it's a committee, whether it's an individual who makes the the main hire. Sometimes that's about what position it is that you're hiring. But um, uh, those would be the questions that I would that I would be asking. Um, I guess the other thing is in the transition, uh, who's going to be this person's supervisor? What I have found, um, both in in a committee or in an individual, and then with a supervisor, that that person or team becomes the bottleneck to the quality of candidate that you will be able to attract. And so what I mean is, if you have a lot of people or you have an individual and you're looking for people that are higher caliber leaders than they are, all of a sudden you get to this point where it's like, well, wait a minute, you're my supervisor? Like, like I, I couldn't work under that person. Or you're the best that this church had to offer to put on a search committee to, to, to help me, to help you know you guys to figure out if I'm the right fit. I, I don't know you guys are thinking through this the right way, you know? And, and so there becomes this, um, you know, it's the frontward facing piece of what a candidate will experience of your church is, is through this interview process and really spearheaded by the individual or the committee. So I think that's a, a huge decision to make. That's good. I, I, I appreciate your comments uh, when he talks about um, what to think through when you hire someone internally, because um, I feel like, there's been churches where I've heard where someone's hired internally and it was just like a, a backdoor conversation with the senior pastor. And it's like, okay, yeah. we're bumping you to associate pastor role or something like that. Where like, um, and that's not to me to pat my church's back on, in this regard, but I, 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 I had no perspective of what this was going to look like leaving student ministry to this campus pastor role. And when the senior pastor met with me, he then said, well, you're still going to have to interview in a way, but it's not going to be as like, intense because we already know you we already know like mm -hmm. you're approved doctrinally but it's more of like does everyone else see that you are the right fit for this role and so then they had like um uh i think it was like a group of six people some mm -hmm. staff some members i think there's a couple elders as well and and they just asked me more personal questions about like 
what would the transition be like for me? What What is my hopes that the legacy of the student ministry will happen after I leave? Like kind of things that you brought up, mm-hmm. because one thing that is really hard with internal hires is those ripple effects, because the hire into the new role can be great, but then the ripple effects could be catastrophic, right? Like, no doubt. like what if they don't replace the, the with the right youth pastor? What if the volunteers revolt? You know, you have all these different kind of scenarios happening. And I don't know when, 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 uh, when sometimes when we hire with within, we think this is a win-win, mm-hmm. and we don't think about those ripples. That's a really good thing to to bring up. Well, and and I think that Frank, the um, that interview process that you did at your church, I think, is really huge, partially because um, the lead pastor might already buy into you, but by by putting other people in the room with you before the decision is made you're giving them the chance to buy into you as well. And so that ends up being a huge deal. Like you want to make sure that, that um, I know this is a good hire, but, but will other people understand the decision that we're making and can we get them on board before we pull the trigger? Right. And that, you know, or am I going to have to convince them once the person's already in the role and I make a unilateral decision, leaders don't like it when other leaders make unilateral decisions, you know, I mean, so, so to invite people into the process, and even when you're influencing the process, I think is, is a really smart move for most, uh, most hires you're going to make internally or externally for that matter. That's good. Uh, I, I have an, I have a good question that I think as now being on a staff at a church who has used, um, Agencies like like Slingshot Group, and I've seen other people who have been in the process of being a candidate for a church. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm always curious about the mystery of what you guys are looking for in candidates to match them. Because I've I you know whether it's my church or other churches, um, I've heard like okay, I applied to this church. Now it's on Slingshot to whether they're going to bring them to the church as a recommendation. Yeah. And I'm always like how. That's such a mysterious process to me of like, what what are you looking for? So, so, so I guess ultimately the question is, is when placing someone with a good match, what are the qualities and things you're looking for in a candidate and that church to say, okay, there's a hundred resumes, but here are the top five that we want to recommend. Like, what are the things you're kind of like, obviously it's a bit, it has to be a little nuanced, but what are, what are the things you're looking for? So maybe either me as a church, when I'm using an agency like Slingshot or as a candidate and I'm just hoping my resume gets thrown out to every church possible. Right. Like what is, what's that, what's that sweet spot that's happening in that connection? Yeah, I, I think it's a good question. And, and it's funny to think of it as a mystery. Um, you know, it's, uh, we really live in this phrasing of fit matters most. And so most of the, most of the things that were the, the criteria, if you will, that we're getting, it's not actually our criteria as slingshot group. We're getting the criteria from the church. Like my job isn't to hire who I want the youth pastor to be at your church. My job is to make sh- is to hire the the youth pastor and represent who you want the youth pastor to be at your church. And so it changes the dynamic, right? Like, um, and so and so one, we work really hard with our recruiters and our team. We work really really hard to make sure that they. Um, are try- are not bringing their their bias into it, and so because a lot of times, right? It's you know I remember I worked with a church. Um, I worked with like a you know a, a kind of very Baptist church in Texas, and like an AG church in Florida, and a non-denominational church in California. And I was working with all three of these churches at the same time. Well, so it's going to be someone different that fits in each of those churches you know, the cultural context, uh, the denominational context, what it is, you know, what it is they're trying to look for. And it has little to nothing to do with it, with what I think. Um, I have to put my brain into what they think. And so um, a funny, obviously there are differences here, but a funny, um, like, 
like picture would be think of it, you know, what what I do is more of a I'm a matchmaker. So I'm not I'm not making you be in a relationship with someone that I, that that I think is cute, right? Or that I think is fun or that I think would be a good a good match for me. It's I need to I need to get into your head and figure out who would be who do I think would be a good match for you. Um and so uh, whether that is, you know, years of experience, whether that is, um, the kinds of churches that you've worked in before or the area of the country. So, so let me give you a crazy one. I I remember I worked with a church in Southern California and this one's a little more out there. Um, I worked with one in Southern California where what their criteria was, they needed someone who had five years of ministry experience. They did not want them to have grown up in a Christian home. So they wanted them to have experienced Jesus a little later um, in their story um, because that was what was happening in, in their culture right there. They needed to be a surfer. Um, so so if you were a boogie boarder, you're out. You have to have been a surfer. And they preferred if you had a visible tattoo on your arm. Um, and so it can be as specific, right? That's, that's, that's obviously, and that's a real story. That's that it can be as specific as something like that, or it can be as broad as, um, we want someone with, with, with a little bit of an experience. We want them to understand denominationally and theologically where we're at, but when it's all said and done, we want someone who connects with us on a personal level. And so, and so what's funny is both of those are easy and both of those are hard, you know, having very clear criteria from a church of must have a visible tattoo. Well, right away, when I get a thousand resumes, I can pretty quickly determine who's not going to be in that, you know, who's not going to be that. Right. Um, but at the same time, when I, when I meet, when I'm doing one, that's like uh, much more broad, um, there's the beauty of, well, wow, there's a lot of, there's, there's a broad swath of who could fit here. Um, but then again, the difficulty comes from, uh, it's almost like a, I'll know it when I see it. And, and that becomes a little bit more, the intangible of that can be hard as well. So pros and cons to, to both approaches, but you know, what is, what is kind of the, the, the magic mystical, how do you find someone who fits? Uh, it's, it's strictly about letting go and letting and, and understanding what is that church really want and what are they about kind of in the same vein we i have some friends right now who are currently in the process of looking for a church in fact i'm thinking of one dear friend of mine who who just posted it's like this has been probably the most stressful season of their life because they applied to two churches and both of them got rejected him and 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 so with that being said it's like when you have a candidate and and they're like, hey, I wanna, I want, I want to put my name out. I want to put my resume in some churches. Mm-hmm. What would you? What would be some of the things you would recommend to them, um, so that they can stand out, so they can kind of like be the candidate that can be placed in the church where they should be placed at, um, but also like get noticed. Like, is, is it mm-hmm. does it come down to the font on the resume, or is there something more important than that? Right? Like, what would totally. you recommend? Well, I mean, there there are a few things to think about with that. I would say, you know, I, I don't think it necessarily comes down to like a font on a resume, though. I mean, if you're if you're still rocking Comic Sans, you should probably move on, right? So there's a, you know, think through the through the, through the vantage point of removing barriers um, that would make someone say say no. So like, I remember, uh, I remember before I was at Slingshot Group, I was at a church in Florida, and I was looking for um, a new campus student pastor. So I oversaw a five campus student ministry. Wanted to find a new campus student pastor, and I got a thousand resumes in two weeks. And I remember thinking to myself, I just want someone to use the wrong there so that I never have to look at their resume again. Right? Like, it, you know, in a, it, depending on the volume of resumes they're getting, there could be, um, 
you know, really small things can disqualify you because they just need some criteria to whittle it down. And so the first thing that I would do as a candidate is I would be very cautious and, and very intentional about um, just just check your stuff. You know, like, are there misspellings? Um, is there anything, you know, grammar on there that you could really give it another look or have somebody look that over for you? Run it through Grammarly before you, you know, put it out there, you know, in, um, uh, some, in some ways, the style of your resume matters. If I look at resumes and they're all basically the same style or template, you know, there's something like, oh, well, that stands out a little bit. There's a little creativity in, in this person. Now, again, there is a such thing as too much creativity in, in that, right? Where all of a sudden it's, it gets busy and it gets, it gets a little crazy, but, but to have something tasteful where again, it does kind of jump off the page more than if you just kind of gave a standard resume. Um, I think the general rule here is because everyone is kind of looking for something a little bit different. If you're trying to become, you know, um, the the lead pastor in the Presbyterian Church in Middle America versus if you're trying to be the youth pastor that has to know how to surf in Southern California, you know, they're different things, right? Education or background, backstory, and testimony, and all these different things will will cause your resume to jump off to different different people. So my recommendation is. Um, like really lean into what is the best version of you? Like what is the kind of church that you're wanting to be in? And then tailor what you're doing um, like to them. And so if you are looking for that non-denominational church, you know, education will matter, but I bet you it doesn't matter as much as it would if you were looking, if you were interviewing at that Southern Baptist church and where they really valued this other piece of it. Like you should know what they value. And really, what it is that that that's going to rise to the top, and then play into that. Now, um, I am a firm believer that that you don't want someone to hire you for someone that you are not, right? So, so don't lie on your resume. Um, don't uh, you know avoid at all costs um, anything that could be seen as misleading, because that's the end of a conversation. If 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 you tell me that you were the blank at this church. And then I find out that actually that was a volunteer position and you represented it as though that was a paid position. And I don't actually want to talk to you again after that. Like that's kind of the end of the conversation for me. And so there's no reason to to, to lie. If someone wouldn't want the experience you have or, or the person that you are, you don't need to work at that church. Um, there is a church for you. And, and, and that's the other side of it. A lot of times we apply to what I would call aspirational jobs, and so um, Frank, I'm gonna I'm I'm, I'm gonna give you a scoop on your podcast here, okay? Um, when I was when I was 21 years old, this is so embarrassing. When I was 21 years old, um, I, I I thought that I was killing it in 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 my leadership and in the things that I was doing, and there was a transition happening at a national organization that you know well at Youth Specialties, and so I applied for that job. I applied to become the, the the president of youth specialties at 21 years old with like five years of experience in youth ministry or something ridiculous, right? And 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 in my mind, I both knew I wouldn't get it, but I had this little twinge of like, but what if? You know, and 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 there was something so silly. And and when and when they didn't even reply to me, which they honestly shouldn't have, um, I was heartbroken because I actually because I, I, I put my emotion into I'm gonna do this. Like I, like, like if they, if I can just get an interview, maybe they'll see something in me. Right. You know, I mean, there's all, so aspirational. Um, I, I see that all the time. I see people that are like, Hey, I've been in this church of this size. We had this many, um, you know, 
kids in our ministry, but I think that I should be the new kids pastor at Bayside, which has 10 campuses. And I don't know if I'm messing up their campuses, but you know what I'm saying? Like, but you know, campuses all over the place and you know, all this in it, but I, and I should be this. And you're kind of like, well, it's not that one is better than the other, but there's a different weight of ministry in, in, in responsibility from one to the other. And so, and so go through what you need to go through to become the person that you can be in those aspirational roles. But if you're applying for nothing but aspirational roles, you can't wonder why maybe your resume is not jumping off, you know, uh, off the page to them. That's so good. And, and, uh, it sounds like when you were 21, I was, I had the same mindset as well. <laughs> yeah. I'd probably, I'd probably apply to, that's my dream. And then, yeah, get my emotion behind it. That's so, that's so funny. Hey, uh, I, I accepted this role, uh, as the campus pastor back in, uh, like late fall of 2019. And uh, obviously I have gone through 2020, which is probably the biggest like ministry accelerant for every single person on staff, every church ever. Right. Yeah. And then, and then here I am in 2021, I have, um, I have about three paid staff that are dotted line relationships under me. Mm-hmm. And then I have another three or four volunteer staff who are pretty like, they're pretty, I mean, we should be paying them type of staff. And, uh, and so I, I, you know, transitioning from youth ministry to these type of, of kind of, uh, leadership roles, my biggest heart is to be able to develop them and coach them. Some mm-hmm. of which are older than me, which is a new experience of developing and coaching leaders who are, you know, somewhat older than me. And so I know you have a book out, uh, called improv leadership and, and, uh, and I want to just, I, w- I would love for you to tell me, uh, uh, a little bit more about the book, any advice you can give me in terms of like leading and coaching my leaders. Well, there are, there's people, you know, who are listening to this podcast who have now inherited some staff who inherited some high level volunteers. And I think like, you kind of mentioned this earlier, like they aspirationally want to be a good leader that develops other leaders, yeah. but they kind of don't know where to start and what to do. What, how, what would you advise and encourage them? And, and tell me more about your book. Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. I um, I think that we have to get to a point, and, and you're ahead of this in what you just said, Frank. So I, I think more leaders need to get to the point where we do not see people as a means to an end, but we see people as an opportunity for us to invest. Um, you know, there's this old adage that, you know, it's, you know, you think about uh, two leaders. One leader says, we should really develop our staff. And the other leader says, well, what if we develop them and they leave? And then the original leader says, well, what if we don't develop them and they stay? Right. Like, like there's something really um, we've lost the ability. It feels like within so many of our churches, we're running at such a speed. We're going so fast that we that we are not um, noticing the opportunity to to coach. I think that has to be part of the job description of a leader. You, you, you don't have the the um, the option to not be a coach if you have influence as a leader. So so that's the first thing is. um get yourself in that in that mindset and then you really have to slow down in such a way that um that that the person sometimes matters more than the outcome where it, you know so so if 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 all i care about is how many people come to my program if all i care about is it is my program and you know we can talk about this and maybe on another episode someday but like you know this the kind of false idea of excellence so, you know in 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 this thing that i'm always striving for but can never quite hit um, then all of a sudden the people become secondary and the program becomes primary. I think when that happens, that happens, I would actually go as, be as bold as to say most 
leaders are in that place. Most leaders of kind of driving churches are in that place where the program is 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 primary and people are secondary. Um, so so really, we talk about in improv leadership and with my coaches this idea of how do you become so good at what you do that you can draw on it at any moment, like improv, right? So like an you know improv comedian is someone who is funny, but they took that skill or they took that natural ability of being funny and they turned it into a skill they can draw on at any moment. I think leadership is the same. How do we as leaders become so um, so adept at at leading people and investing in people that we can draw on these skills? So we've identified five core competencies that will help someone to really um, again draw the best out of their out of their people. It doesn't matter if it's if you're in youth ministry or if you're a lead pastor or a campus pastor, whatever that ends up looking like for you. Uh, if you have influence, you are a leader. So I think the first thing is like. What does it look like for you to become what we would call a professional question asker? So we, you know, it's the competency we call it story mining, but it's the it's the art of asking good questions in such a way that that gets below the layers of a person's story. Um, and then the second part of the definition of that is, and then allowing their story to shape the way I lead them. A lot of times we get to know our people, but we're so process driven that we don't allow the people that we're leading to actually be a part of the conversation and we don't adapt our process based on the people that we that we lead. So I think that's the first thing is get to know your people, ask good questions, get below the layers of their story. Uh, I, I think then um, how to use praise well. I, I, I think that we use praise in really weird ways in the church. I mean, praise has become a manipulation. Um, praise has become something that we do uh, it's almost like Southern hospitality in a way. It's like a bless your heart, which you really mean is like, I don't like you, you know? And so there's, there, there, there's it, it, the, the, the true disingenuous nature of praise in the church is running rampant. And so to see, to see someone and to call something great out of them, I think is such a huge deal. I see this in you um, and, and, and to truly like build them up and help them to see what it is that you, that you see in them, I think is, is, is huge. Um, we talk about using metaphors well. So, you know, throughout this, this, you know, even throughout this episode, I'm trying to use metaphor um, to help draw conclusions and draw parallels between like the point that I'm trying to make. And so you might not understand what it's like to place 300 youth pastors, but you would understand maybe at least the concept of being a matchmaker, right? I mean, there's something different there that all of a sudden makes something that feels intangible, tangible. And so good leaders, good coaches are able to inspire their team with stories and metaphors that take huge concepts and bring it down to earth so that, that they can actually grasp it and, and own it for themselves. And so we talk about how to be someone who understands your audience enough that you use metaphors that actually connect to them. Um, and then to lob forward, to, to basically in, inspire in such a way that, that your team is dissatisfied with the status quo. You know, what does that look like? You know, I mean, we, we're so inundated with just what's coming next, but to inspire someone in such a way that, that your team would say, I, if it stays this way, I am unsatisfied with that. We have to, you know, break through that wall. We have to go up those steps. We have to figure out this new season of who we're going to be. And the last one is, we call it going north. And so um, when you're having difficult conversations, you have to, as a leader, you are going to have hard conversations with people who are stuck. Um, you know, imagine there's a wall, there's a barrier between you and the person that you're talking to. So how do you, in that in that season, um, get around the barrier? It's your job. You can't come in and say, well, I tried, but, you know, they have a, a big wall up. That's that's a non-starter. As a coach, you know, if, I, if you hired me to coach your staff and I said, I don't know, Frank, uh, they got a big wall up. You'd be like, well, then what did I hire you for? Like, what, you know, what's, what, what's your role here? And so to be able to, to lean in and say, let me figure out how to get around this wall. 
And so we talk about indirect influence. Instead of going straight at it, I'm going to go around it and, and, and really figure it out. So those are, you know, when, when, you're, when you're leading someone, each of those competencies really will force you to slow down and become a people person. We in the church have got, you know, are kind of still in it, but we're coming out of it. This this place where where we put our our favorite leaders were were the driver. Our favorite leaders were the ones that that their vision was so big, and and we're gonna make sure. And and and, and I remember on a podcast that I used to host, um, uh, we had this episode saying like like why are the best churches to attend often the worst churches to work at, right? Like, and there's this whole concept of of that driving leader without understanding and caring for and coaching your people, you will look behind you one day to just a wake of dead bodies behind you, where instead of actually bringing people with you, you you have, you've tossed them off the boat because they can't seem to keep up. Well, at some point, you have to be able to look at yourself and say, if that is the common narrative of what's happening in my ministry, it's probably not all of their fault. It's probably my fault. And so to slow down, to improv, to to, to draw the best out of people is how you're going to get further faster. I, I remember listening to that podcast where you said, um, why is some of the best churches to attend the worst places to work at? And I remember when I heard that I, I decided that any level of influence that I could have amongst my staff, hmm. if I have any staff that I didn't want that to be true. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like, um, uh, sadly, as churches get larger and 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 you see like um, you know multi-site mega churches and things like that, something happens in the staffing structure where where people become more a, a means to an end mm-hmm. as opposed to like people who are creating the in, image of God shaped to, to care for the people, and so therefore like um, you know I don't know I mean obviously smaller churches have their own kind of toxic stuff that they have to deal with as well, but like. It seems like as as I'm as I'm currently in a larger church, and I have many friends who are in larger churches. You know, we 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 have this like um, the social media like our church is great, everyone's welcome. Look how awesome this is! Right. But then we're in the break room, and it's like, oh my goodness, this is so hard. Like the mm-hmm. deadlines I got to meet, the meetings I have, mm-hmm. it, the pressure. It's like the burnout. Like it, it, it's 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 real. And I remember when I when I I think when I heard you said that, I thought like. If I even if I just have two or three people in my stuff, I want to make sure that I can somehow break that rule, at least yeah. for the context I'm in. Um, I think I think when when I, I what I appreciate about what you're doing is I think giving us a, an able to have a context and understanding of how to coach, how to lead well, and how to how to develop people. That will be the uh, a good first step to be able to to not create a culture where mm-hmm. a church is a great place to attend but a terrible place to work at. I mean, how horrible would that be if that's what your church is known for, right? Like that, that, totally. that that's terrible. But uh, but I appreciate you, man. This is great. So fun. It's it's really fun just to again. I I love what you're doing and and that that matters. And again, it's because that's not the cool thing a lot of times, right? Bigger. You know, I I I, uh, I, I just put something out the other day. Um, with Christianity Today, and I just said, can we can we kill the phrase "healthy things grow"? Like that's not actually true, right? Like there's like like I get where it comes from. I get the the, the heart behind that phrase, but what that does is that creates this thing where we're saying, well, if if you're not firing on all cylinders at all times with no rest, then then you're not healthy. And it's like, well, actually, 
Actually, that's where burnout comes from. Actually, that's where comparison comes from. Actually, that's where really unhealthy images of what it means to be the church comes from. And so, and so it's going to be in, incredibly important for us as leaders to start to shift this narrative of, of a culture of usury, um, where we, again, whether it's volunteers or staff for that matter. I, I mean, again, I think, I think there are a lot of um, leaders who I don't think on purpose, but they, they burn their volunteers out to such a level because again, it's, you're, you're just a means to an end. You're not a, you're not a human being. You're a chair mover. You're not a, you're not a father or a mother. Like you're a volunteer in my kids ministry. And I think that without the perspective of each of these people are in fact people that are loved and, and are, and are, and are cared for, um, you know, again, it, it, it we fall into the trap. I think it really is actually a trap. We don't do it on purpose. We get trapped into this idea of means to an end leadership. And we have to break that trend. David, thank you. Uh, before I go, uh, where can we find you? Where can we get this book? Can you, can you just let us know all that information before I let you go? Yeah, no doubt. So, um, so slingshotgroup.org is, you know, if you're looking for a new role or if you are hiring somebody on your team, slingshotgroup.org is the place to go and get some information around it. Um, and uh, improv leadership is is available really everywhere books are sold. Uh, we do have a landing page for it at improvleadershipbook.com. And you can get a little bit of, I think you can even download a free chapter there and, you know, get, get a little taste of what it's all about. Um, but yeah, that, those, those are the main places. I'm on social, but you know, that's, that's just social. That, those are the places I'm really doing life is, is in the SD website. Awesome. Hey, Dave, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, brother. Appreciate you. Hey guys, it was a good show to hang out with you guys, talk to you guys. I know, uh, Andrew, you're about to go on vacation. Jeff, you might be going down to Florida to possibly. Tim pick up. lives at a vacation resort now. Headed back to my pool shortly. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I'm still up here in Milwaukee. So, hey, uh, I hope you guys have a great week. I hope if you're listening to us, you have a great week. Delmar, uh, we're, we're, we're praying for you. You're awesome. We can't wait for you to be back with us. Hey, until next time. I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. Hey, go check out David's book, Improv Leadership. See you in the Facebook group. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.